Everybody, I'm going to go ahead and get us started. Um, I want us to hear from God's Word again this morning uh, before I pray for us. Uh, I wanted to read uh, just two verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You can just listen or you can turn there if you want to. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm sure there's some of you here who have these memorized. They're fairly familiar verses. But what I wanted you to think about as I read these is to think about these verses in light of anxiety. Because oftentimes we can read some of these verses, we can memorize some of these verses, and we can just not really think about what some of these verses are communicating, what some of these verses are implying. And so again, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it tells us to trust in the Lord. And what we need to realize is that oftentimes when you're told to trust somebody, it's because you're worried. It's implying that. Like if somebody's saying, hey, trust me on this. It's, it's implying that there's some doubt there. There's some fear there. And that when we're giving in to our anxieties, when we're you know, giving in to worry, that's when we're leaning on our own understanding. Right? That, but let's think about, again, these familiar verses in light of anxiety. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Let's pray. Father, again, we give You thanks for Your fatherly care, uh, that You are good, You are loving, You are trustworthy because of that. As we're told in, in Proverbs to trust You with all of our heart, we're not just told that and that's all the information we have about You. We, we know that we can trust You because You are good, because You are gracious, because You are pure, because You are just. So God, I pray that You would help us, each of us in this room, to, to trust You more. Um, to, to not lean on our own understanding. Uh, when our circumstances around us are screaming at us that God cannot be trusted, we pray for Your grace to trust You. Because You have proved Yourself over and over and over again. And Genesis to Revelation tells us that. Spirit, we ask that You please uh, help us to focus on Your truth today. Every one of us in this room, myself included, are, are tired. And Lord, we know Your Scriptures tell us there is a real devil and there is spiritual warfare. And any time Your Word is opened up and communicated, taught from, preached from, uh, Satan wants to stop that. So Spirit, we ask for protection from the evil one, to be able to hear truth from Your Word and to be ministered to by it. Pray that we'd see the glories of Your Gospel and how they apply to our worry in our lives. I pray that You be with these students now. Again, as I prayed yesterday, You know them to their core. You know their thoughts. You know their names. You know what is going on in their lives. And I pray that You'd apply Your Word uh, in a way uh, that's honoring uh, to You and helpful to them. It's in... Your son's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so some quick review. What are some of the things we talked about yesterday? Maybe one truth that stuck out to you. Maybe it's something you heard before. Maybe it's something new. Uh, what are some of the things we discussed briefly yesterday? Anybody want to raise your hand or just shout it out? Okay, yes. Um, 
one of the big things that I took away from yesterday was just the fact that um, even though Jesus says, don't worry or do not be anxious, um, he doesn't downplay the reality hmm. of our life. Yeah. No, thanks for you for sharing that. Jesus Christ, even though He commands us in Matthew 6, which we'll get into a little bit more today, do not worry. He doesn't downplay the reality that we're going to be tempted to worry. Um, yeah, I think that's encouraging that He acknowledges that. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more today. Anything else? Yes? There's only one real place to hide. Um, ultimately, hiding in Christ. We'll unpack that a little bit more today, but then talk about it. Uh, the last day that, that God does in His grace, He gives us things that we can enjoy, like a story from a movie, from a book, to kind of escape some of our our stress in our life. Um, that that can be a good thing, but ultimately we shouldn't just hide in these other stories. Ultimately, we must run to Him, or it will only multiply our anxieties. Anything else? What were the two truths that I talked about from? Genesis 3, that everyone is what? Afraid, Afraid, and everyone is what? Good. Okay, so today we're asking the question, why not worry? Why shouldn't we worry? Uh, Since we know, okay, this this world is great, this world is beautiful, this world, uh, we can see God's grace, I mean, God's Word tells us this, God's grace communicates through God's creation. I mean, how can we not go outside and look at those mountains and think God exists? I mean, that's called general revelation. That's a good thing, but it is still post-Genesis 3. So there's all sorts of brokenness that we're going to be dealing with. And so asking the question, why not worry because of that? And so really today, there's a, the main point is kind of giving you a theology of pain which I know sounds really exciting to all of us. A theology of suffering. Um, because I know, I mean, it, again, it's, it's not something that's necessarily fun to talk about. No one's just like, yes, I cannot wait to talk about suffering. It's the best. But here's the deal. If I did not talk about suffering, would it go away? No. It's something we're going to have to deal with until Jesus Christ returns. And so it's important that we have some kind of an understanding of what, how Christians should respond to pain and suffering. So y'all turn to Matthew 6. If you, some of you can see this. Some of you, if you're like me, I just like to open up my Bible and, and see the words right in front of me. But Matthew 6, we're going to look at verses 25 through 34. And uh, just a reminder, some of you may know this, but this is during the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Jesus uh, speaking here. And oftentimes when when we're we're talking about worry, and this is kind of the go-to passage in Scripture to point people, Matthew 6. And I know there's kind of a parallel to this story in Luke, um, but oftentimes I think Matthew 6 is the one that gets highlighted. So... Again, Matthew 6, verses 25-34. This is Jesus Christ uh, speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would somebody read that last sentence, just the very last sentence at the bottom, out loud? Thank you. Whoever did that, somewhere up there. Thank you. What does this mean? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What does that mean? Okay, you're consistent at least. The first class talks a lot more. You guys are kind of quiet. What do you think this means? Nobody, I doubt any of you today got up and said, sufficient for the day for, for the day is its own trouble. We don't really talk just like, so what does this mean? What is this telling us? Just very simply, yes. Okay. We've got enough going on today to worry about, so don't even think about tomorrow. Even more simply than that, that's right. What, what does this mean? Somebody else had a hand up? Yes? Yeah, I mean, tomorrow's going to be filled with all kinds of worries, so don't even focus on those, just stick with today. So, I mean, just very basically, you are going to have trouble today. Okay? You're, you're at a conference, and so there is a sense in which, like, this isn't a normal day. <laughs> Okay, like none of you really wake up in the summer and like come into a room to hear some old guy talk to you about the Bible. Um, so it's a little different. But some of you may start vomiting today. So drink water. Okay. Some of you may break your leg today. Playing ultimate frisbee, hiking a mountain. And if you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you just said that. Is that true? I mean, could that happen? Yes. Jesus said so. There's all sorts of trouble that you could have today. And Jesus is telling you that. Okay, there's all sorts of things. Maybe right now, maybe something happened last night between you and a friend or you and an enemy on this trip and you're still thinking about it. Okay, and you've got that trouble to deal with today. Okay, but there is trouble we're going to be dealing with. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> Kidding. Um, yeah, there's going to be trouble to deal with. So look, why not worry? Uh, I want to tell you a story about a good friend of mine. His name uh, is Josh. Um, Josh and I, we were really close in middle school and then uh, probably one of my best friends in high school. And then um, as we both went off to college, uh, we weren't as close. Um, Josh was one of those guys who was well-liked by everybody. Um, he never met a stranger. Uh, he would often just strike up conversation with anybody. If he was in a line somewhere, he would just turn around to this complete stranger and just start talking to him. 
Um, and so it was kind of known, like, sometimes we had to say, Josh, stop talking. Like, you talk so much. Um, but he was just, he was a fun guy, uh, easy to be around, again, easy to talk to. Um, Josh had a disease that um, the life expectancy is kind of late teen, early 20, so kind of 18 to 21. So raise your hand if you're in that range, this classroom, 18 to 21. Okay, so that was kind of his life expectancy. Um, and Josh, he did uh, pass away um, as he was starting Ole Miss Law School around the age of, again, 21, 22. Um, and, uh, you know, as, I, as I've gotten older, I've thought, you know, I never really talked to Josh much about his disease. There are questions I kind of wish I would have just been vulnerable enough to talk to him about. And obviously, now that I'm a father, I think about this reality as a father that, you know, I wonder, when did Josh's parents tell him he had this disease? Now, this disease that he had, it can often be diagnosed at the age of two. So doctors can often identify it at two. Um, When did his parents sit him down and say, Josh, you might not live that long. Josh, you've got a sickness it says, this is your life expectancy. Surely they told him before middle school. I mean, definitely he knew it in high school. So at your age, he knew. He might make it through high school. He might not. Might not make it through college. Um, I, you know, I thought of, how did he live with this every day? You know, it's kind of like he constantly had a cold. He was always coughing. Um, I can remember one time being at his house and a nurse came by to talk to him, um, which was fairly common. And she was talking about some new medication that could possibly help. And this new medication would require him getting a port put in his side. So he'd you know, have a tube coming out of his side uh, to be able to just give him continual medication. Um, and it required him wearing a fanny pack to keep this in. And I know fanny packs are kind of becoming trendy again um, in kind of a joking way. But in the 90s, they were not. And, and I can remember he was sitting in the chair and the nurse was talking to him. I was kind of behind him. And as she was saying this to him, uh, he just I saw tears dropping down on the table. And I didn't realize he was getting upset and then I obviously saw that. And it made me think of just, wow, you know, I knew Josh was one of those, again, who did not care. I mean, like, he would have gone to school in a fanny pack, and everyone loved Josh. 500 people would have worn fanny packs the next day at school if that's what it took. Um, But it was just the reality of, this isn't how it's supposed to be. You know, I want to be normal. I want to be able to just not have to deal with this thing that's inside of me. So my question is, as Christians, how do we respond to this? Should we just say, Josh, don't worry. Should you look at his parents and say, don't be anxious about that? Jesus says so. Jesus says, do not worry. So see, we can read Bible verses and we can quote them and we can know biblical truth, but when we bring it to a street level... To bring theology to life, that can be tough. 
Because people are dealing with very serious things that are going to cause anxiety. Some of you in this room may be dealing with that. Some of you in this room may have sicknesses you're dealing with. Some of you in this room may have family members back home that are dealing with this kind of stuff. Very weighty, serious things. I mean, the realities of children being kidnapped and being trafficked. Like, that's going on right now. Like, at this moment, as we're sitting in this classroom, there's a family sobbing over the fact that their child was taken. They have no idea where they are. Do not worry. There's rape that occurs. There's all sorts of horrors. How can we read Matthew 6 and say, do not worry? Well, because in the midst of that, Jesus says, you're you're going to have trouble each and every day. There's going to be things we're going to have to deal with that are really, really hard and that are going to test your faith, test your beliefs. And so that's why it's important for us to have some sort of theology of worry. A theology of pain. Because again, worry and anxiety fits under the umbrella of pain. But as we talk about very weighty things like sicknesses, again, death, all sorts of horrors on this end, I mean, thinking of the other end of the spectrum of pain, you know, we might say like minor awkwardness is painful. Like if we want to get to like the other end of the spectrum, like maybe some of you are stressed about just an awkward conversation you had. Maybe there's a guy here who really likes a girl and he wants to impress this girl and he just said something stupid. He's like, great. She's never going to like me. And he just continues to think about that. That's pain. Okay? It's on kind of the other end of the spectrum. Again, a little laughable. But that's a form of pain. And this is reminding me of this, this story. And this is the best I could do for like an instant message picture, at least it's a picture, okay? Um, Right out of college, I worked in insurance for a little over a year, and I worked in this insurance building that had, I don't know, 700 people in it, and we had seven floors in this big building, and so we had our own instant message system, so like if you're on floor two and you need to talk to somebody on another floor, you could just message them real quickly. And I got to be friends with this group of people, six or seven people, and they were about my age right out of college. And I'm pretty sure none of them were believers and they wouldn't have claimed to have been believers. And oftentimes in this group, uh, there was a lot of gossip that went on. Um, and there was this when, you know, by God's grace, I tried to be an example at times. Um, there were times where obviously I indulged in gossip. Uh, but this one day, um, this girl, we'll call her Sally. I don't really even remember her name, I don't think. She had done something to upset the group. And this guy was IMing me at my computer just talking about Sally and what Sally had done. And I'm sorry if there's a Sally in here. I just pulled that name out. Sorry, I should say that. Um, you're great, Sally's, if you're up there. Um, and so we were going back and forth over I am talking about what Sally did. And just so... Sally's the worst, or Sally, whatever. And I was replying back, and you know, I sent it to him, and uh, I waited, and he didn't reply. And I was like, 
It's kind of weird. We're just going back and forth. I waited. He didn't reply. Then Sally replied. Because I accidentally sent the message to Sally. Raise your hand if you think that's awkward. Yes. That was painful. Because everything I was saying about Sally behind her back was actually said straight to her. So that was awkward. <laughs> we had to talk through that and we worked it through. Um, but, but maybe you're dealing with some of those kind of painful, cringeworthy moments in your life. And the interesting thing, I mean, just picking gossip up out of you know, all of the issues you could be dealing with, what's interesting about gossip is that if you are indulging in gossip, it's going to create anxiety in your own life. Like if you're one who just bashes people behind their backs, constantly gossips about people behind their backs, what it does is it makes you paranoid. And you start to think, what is everybody else saying about me when I'm not around? And so it's interesting that you know Scripture tells us not to gossip, but what's interesting is not only is it because it's wicked, but also God in His grace is saying, don't do it because it actually harms you. It's going to hurt you. And so that can be some anxiety you're dealing with if you're, again, just indulging in that. Look, here, here's a uh, Time magazine cover. This came out in uh, November 2016. Can anybody tell me what was going on in November 2016? I think I heard it. What? Presidential election. This was more newsworthy than that. Uh, that... Anxiety, depression, and the modern adolescent. There's a professor, Dr. Gene Twangy, who says, your generation has levels of anxiety and stress, depression, that are four times higher than any generation in United States history. That many of you who are in you know, that middle school, high school, college age, um, we're, we're on the brink of the largest mental health crisis with your generation, dealing with anxiety. And so my question is, why? It's not like, oh, this new thing, anxiety, has just been discovered. Like, everyone's been struggling with worry you know, since Genesis 3. But what is it about your generation that are just making this skyrocket. These increased levels of anxiety. And so what, what I want us to do is, I want us to look at your life. We've been following you around with cameras, and we're going to put it up here. Now, I want us to zoom in on your daily life, looking at your schedules, and just getting you to think a little bit about what's going on in your life. And what you're, what you're dealing with. Because, you know, this would be, I'd say, you know, most of your lives. Okay, you all go to school if it's home, public, private. And obviously that fits into a certain amount of time and then you, because you have tests and all of these things. You're going to study before school at times and then you're going to study after school. So you know, you've got this block of time for school, but then before and after you've got stuff going on as well. Obviously extracurriculars, not just sports. Maybe some clubs that you're involved in. Maybe some of you have a job. Maybe some of you are involved in some kind of service. I know there are some schools that require um, community service hours. 
So maybe you do some, some of that. And so just looking at that right there, and just kind of if we started to break it down and put it into a schedule, I mean, that's a full day. Okay? And that's, you know, some of your schedules, I don't know if you have much family time. Some of you are like, that sounds like the worst. I don't want to have family time. Um, but, but, you know, are you ever together as a family? Do you ever get to sit down and have a meal as a family? Do you have any time in your life to just kind of have fun? Have some leisure where it's just kind of unstructured, just to just chill out. Is that in your schedule? I'm not trying to step on your toes, but oftentimes because life gets so busy, church becomes an optional thing. It becomes something maybe we can kind of add on if there's some extra time. But we have all of these other things that are required. I mean, we've got to get the paper in, we've got to study, we've got to be at practice, whatever it is. We've got these things that are required. And so look, this is kind of the external schedule. What I want to do is I want to zoom in on your hearts and go through your schedule and get you to think about like on a heart level, internally, what is this schedule doing to you? And hopefully highlighting some ways in which maybe you're, you're feeling anxious and so you can identify it and then deal with it, hopefully in a helpful way. So kind of thinking of a mental, emotional, kind of the physical stress that you're, you're dealing with. You know, just thinking of school. <clears throat> I mean, there's, you know, with each passing year, you're getting increased responsibilities, right? And so some of that is just normal growing up, okay? Um, that... Many of you here, okay, you're going to school, you're trying to maintain this GPA, you're trying to get the scholarship so you can get into this college, and so you have you know, all of this just mental uh, turmoil, just trying to prepare to, to keep all of those things up. And so some of the stress you may feel over just academics from school is, again, just the normal part of growing up. That... Maybe you look at your schedule now and you think, I never could have done this, what I'm doing today, three years ago. I would have had a nervous breakdown. But then five years from where you are today, you can look back and be like, wow, I've got so much more on me than I once did. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is that each passing year, you're most likely going to have more pressure put on you to try to prepare you for life. But look, it's normal to feel stressed about that. It's normal to feel anxious of this is a lot of reading, this is a lot of writing, that this um, speech to give, whatever it is. And so just looking again at your academics alone, that's going to create a lot of stress. I mean, thinking of extracurriculars. I'm just taking sports, for example. Sports are a good gift from God. If some of you were did... Um, elective last year on uh, theology of the body. The Bible tells us our bodies don't belong to us. They belong to God. And so we were to take care of them in a way that's honoring to Him. Sports can help us do that. Sports can actually help take care of our bodies. But we do have to think too, I mean, again, I've been in student ministry for over 15 years and know that this is fairly common for many of you. Just taking football, for example, some of you lift weights before school. You go to school all day long and then you practice after school and then you have homework and stuff after that. And so your day's pretty long. But just common sense talking about the body, your body needs rest. Your body needs physical rest 
or you are going to feel anxious. Because what your body is trying to do is repair itself constantly from all the physical activity that you're doing. And if you're not getting physical rest, then it's not going to repair. And maybe that's why some of you are stressed. Because, I mean, just you know, the example I've given before, look, if you ever go and lift weights, you're actually not building muscle in a sense when you go work out. When you're lifting weights, you're tearing your muscles apart. But it's the rest that builds muscles. It's the actual rest that's required because that's the way God designed your body to work. And so I'm just getting you to practically see how much sleep are you getting? I mean, if you go to a doctor, first questions are going to ask, what's your diet? You know, what, what are you eating? What are you putting into your body? Because it's going to affect you. How much sleep are you getting? Those are kind of the common questions they get to. If you're feeling increased levels of stress and anxiety. Sleep specialists say nine hours a night. Y'all can go ahead and laugh at that. The first hour did. Like you're supposed to be getting nine hours of sleep a night. Which I know at RYM Colorado we all catch up on our sleep. Everyone's going to bed on time and getting plenty of sleep. But we can laugh at this because look, they're just specialists, right? <laughs> like what do they know? Nine hours of sleep. Okay, does anyone know who this is? Roger Federer. So for many years, he was the number one tennis player in the world. For many years. Um, still, I don't know, has, is he still playing? Does anybody know? Okay, getting close to retirement. Still playing at a high level. Um, but just imagine that. Like, he could walk into a stadium filled with 100,000 people and be like, I'm better than all of you at this sport. Like he could go anywhere and be like, I can beat anyone on the face of the earth in this sport. Could you imagine that? He gets 11 to 12 hours of sleep a night. And we have to say, that's part of why he's the best. It's part of it, not the only reason. Because some of us could be like, I'm getting 12 hours of sleep a night, but I couldn't beat him. So he's got some other talents, for sure. I'm not saying that. Does anybody know who this is? You're saying Bolt. Um, fastest man on the planet. And again, I know he's getting older, so there might be somebody else coming. I mean, multiple gold medals that he's won. He's insanely fast. I mean, it's like freak of nature fast. Like, There's got to be a point at which we cannot get any faster as a species. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, When are we going to stop breaking records? That just seems like it's got to stop. You know what I'm saying? Um, this guy's crazy fast. He gets um, eight to ten hours of sleep a night. Uh, what about anybody know who this is? Anybody ever heard of him? Okay, there's no booze. Some people booed the first hour. Um, so, twelve hours of sleep a night. LeBron James gets twelve hours of sleep a night. And part of it is, well, if somebody paid me millions of dollars, maybe I could get 12 hours of sleep a night. Like, they get paid to do these things, okay? So their schedules are different, for sure. Um, But we've got to say, like, this is part of why they're great. It's just because the human body needs rest. And so just asking you really to think about that, are you getting enough sleep? If you are not, you can expect greater levels of anxiety. In your life. Thinking about relationships. There are all sorts of relationships that we are dealing with and relational challenges. There are, you know, 
good teachers, there are bad teachers, there are good coaches, there are bad coaches. Um, when I was uh, playing football, I had a football coach. One time he was giving me my locker combination to put my equipment in, and I went to my locker, and the combination didn't work. So I went back to the coach and I said, okay, what was that combination again? He was kind of annoyed. He was. He gave me the combination. I went back. I didn't open again. I was like, great. So I went back. I got it again. He was annoyed. Went back, tried it. It did not work again. I was like, no, please no. And I kept trying it. And I went back to him. And he screamed at me. He cussed me in front of the entire team. It was humiliating. And we went over to the locker, and as he was doing my combination, I saw his clipboard, and he had given me the wrong combination. He didn't notice that. I did. But it was never corrected. He never came back and said, hey, I realized I gave you the wrong combination. Um, And here's the thing. I bring that up to say, I never talked to anybody about that. I was in high school, humiliated by this coach in front of the whole team, and I just walked around with that. And so just asking, what relational baggage are you walking around with? What conflicts have you had that have humiliated you, that have been an injustice that has been done towards you, and you're not talking to anybody about this. You're just carrying those with you. That is going to create worry in your life. You're going to feel more stress from these relational challenges. I'm thinking of some more relationships. I hope some of you have relationships with pastors in your life, a youth pastor or a godly mentor in your life. Um, again, I've been in student ministry for a while. I had to confront students on all sorts of things. I had to talk to students about drug abuse. I had to talk to students who were and all sorts of sexual sin. And I can promise you, that created anxiety for me. (laughs) That's not fun to do. But what I was convinced was, the Bible called me to do it. If I truly wanted to pastor these students, and if I truly wanted to shepherd these students, and if I truly loved these students, I would quote-unquote get into their business, because ultimately it's not their business, it's lived out before the Lord, And I'd have to say, you're destroying yourself. And you're harming others. And you're professing the name of Jesus Christ and you're living this way. And so, again, even these relationships where you have a mentor in your life, that can create anxiety. Because you might be getting confronted with things like this. And this is an important point here of your conscience. You need to realize every one of you in this room has a conscience. That God has given you a conscience and that conscience that's inside of you tells you what is right and tells you what is wrong. And here's here's the reality. If you're indulging in a sin behind closed doors where you think no one else can see you, no one else knows about this, you're going to be anxious. Because your conscience is telling you this is wrong. And this would be more in the category of godly sorrow. That if you're just doing something, again, just indulging in a sin, your conscience is saying this is wrong. Don't do it. You're destroying yourself. 
And so maybe some of the worry in your life is, is kind of in this category. And because of just some of these issues that are going on behind closed doors. Um, friendships, enemies, bullies, I've got to hurry us because we're almost done. Thinking more about mental, emotional, physical issues. Like this is a, again a Time Magazine article. I don't know, some of you may be aware that they have different body types for Barbie. Because for a while there, Barbie had this one type and people talked about body shaming and so they have different body types now for Barbie. And I bring this up simply because you're in a culture that never, ever, ever stops talking about body. That, that Whether it's on Instagram, whether it's billboards, whether it's magazines that you're passing down the aisle, the world is telling you this is what you should look like. That you will have worth, you will have value if you look like this. And so maybe you're walking around stressed, anxious because of a certain body type. And you're just thinking, why? Why why can I not look like that? And this is very closely related to it. I'm not getting too detailed in this, but pornography. I bring it up because of the insane prevalence of it in our society. Um, And let's not even just talk about the world, let's talk about the church. The statistics of this inside the church are just the same as the world. Um, 80% of Christian men say they struggle with this. Um, And let's just say like some people are not being honest, so it's probably like 90. Um, We've had a counselor come on RYM's podcast, a female, and she's talking about how this is growing among females. This is just as much a female issue as a a male issue. Um, Part of the reason I bring this up is because the average age of exposure is 10 years old, um, which just statistically speaking, that means every one of you has been exposed to pornography in some way, shape, or form, whether it's accidental or intentional. And so all I'm going to say is just, you're destroying yourself if you're indulging in this. And I promise you, if you're indulging in this, because it is a wickedness, you're going to feel anxious. Because what if you get caught? You're going to have that thought. What if somebody finds my history on my computer? You're going to be living with this fear. And so maybe you're stressed and anxious because you're indulging in something like this. And I do not say that to shame you. I say that to tell you to get help, to talk to somebody. Talk to a pastor, maybe on this trip, a chaperone. Um, Because again, Satan wants you to keep this in the dark and you will destroy yourself by it. I promise you. So just encouraging you uh, to deal with this. Because again, this is just one issue, pornography. But you are walking around with so much guilt and shame of just so many things. And it's creating stress in your life. And it's making you anxious. And, And many of you, look, are dealing with doubts. Do you even believe what it is you've been raised to believe? You know, some of you may have grown up in the church and you're starting to think, do I even believe this? So you're carrying all of this around. And so again, just kind of looking at this schedule, I mean, this is some of what we've kind of highlighted. I mean, just looking at that, that is one day of your life. It shouldn't be a shock that you're going to be anxious. Again, this is just one day. Jesus Christ saying, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's one day. And that's, I mean, if you want to kind of think of checking those boxes off, which ones do you check off in your own life? 
And so we're going to be dealing with a lot of this. And so look, just giving a theology of pain quickly because we're going to unpack this a little more now. I know I'm, I'm running out of time, so I'll put all these up. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, please do this carefully because I know like, when we can throw out words like theology, that can just sound really boring. Um, you need to know, and this is not a joke, this is serious, and the Bible says this, every one of you is a theologian. Okay? Every human is a theologian. If they're an atheist, they're a theologian. They have a belief about God. There's is, there is no God. Well, that's their theology, right? Um, so we all have a theology. And so what I'm saying is, when pain comes about in your life, you are doing theology whether you, re- whether you realize it or not. When suffering comes into your life, you're living out a theology. And what I want you to see is because you have a soul inside of you that will never die, your soul knows that there is a garden. Your soul has a knowledge of the Garden of Eden. And your soul has a knowledge of future glory. So your soul, whenever pain happens to you, your soul is saying, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how life was supposed to be because your soul knows it was designed for this eternity that should not have pain and suffering. And so whenever pain and suffering comes up, you want heaven right now. You just want whatever it is to stop immediately. And some of that is normal. Because you were not created for a world with all of these horrors that are in it. And so we need to think about how can we be dealing with our pain in a way that's honoring to God. Because as Paul David Tripp says, not only do we suffer, but because we have a sinful heart, we often suffer in our thinking about suffering. So oftentimes what that means for some of you is when you go through something painful in your life, you think, this is because God hates me. And this is because God is judging me. But that's not always accurate. That's not always true. And again, that's something we're going to unpack more tomorrow. Um, I'm going to say a few more things. I don't have time to talk about all of this, um, which I wish I did. But basically what I was going to say is, what was interesting to me in the newest Avengers movie, and all of you are like, John, you're skipping over the most interesting part, um, was the, the theme of grief in Avengers Endgame. Who saw Avengers Endgame in here? Like, the world? Okay. Um, I mean, the first half of the movie, I heard some people say, oh, it was boring, it was too slow. I thought it was interesting because of the pain and the suffering that each character was going through and how each character tried to deal with their pain and suffering in a certain way and it did not fix it. I mean, just again, I flew through some of those. I mean, Captain America just kind of had the self-help group, which he admitted that didn't, didn't even help. Um, uh, Black Widow, she just wanted to keep herself busy. She was depressed, and so she kept herself busy, which is so common for so many of you. Like, pain and suffering comes in. If you just stay busy, you don't have to think about it. Tony Stark, he retreated, you know, took his family and just got away because he wanted to protect from any future pain happening. I know it sounds comedic, but Thor became an alcoholic. And in the movie, if you saw it, I mean, had a beer gut, which that was kind of comical for sure. But if you really think about the fact like he became an alcoholic to deal with his pain, it's not funny. And that's how he was dealing with it. And again, didn't help him. 
Hawkeye just took vengeance in his own hands. He just wanted to kill every evil person on the face of the earth because of the pain he went through. And he even got to the point when Black Widow was talking to him, he said, don't give me hope. He'd gotten so beyond hope, so indulging in his pain, he didn't want hope. He just wanted vengeance. And so to me, that was such an interesting aspect of this movie because it's so common. We're all dealing with pain. And it's interesting that this movie highlighted the ways in which the characters were dealing with it and they did not have an answer. They couldn't deal with it. And so kind of ending with why not worry, just two things quickly and then we're, we're done. I'm, I'm letting you out of here. Um, very simply, the first, as we talked about yesterday, is we're commanded not to. Even in the midst of all of these insane horrors, Jesus Christ has the boldness to say, don't do it. Right? But secondly, and this is again one of those obvious statements... That's so obvious it's profound. Listen, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus Christ said, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his or her span of life? It doesn't help you deal with anything. And so Jesus is saying, when He says do not worry, first and foremost, He's saying that because He loves His Father. And He's saying, when you worry, you're doubting My Father. And He is good, I promise you. So do not worry, because God is good, and He's in control of your pain. He's over your pain. He's sovereign over your pain. And again, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. But secondly, Jesus says do not worry, because He loves you. And when you indulge in your worry, you're killing yourself. Literally. By living a worrisome, anxious, stressed out life, you will take years off of your life. You will have physical issues. I mean, you can Google physical issues from just worry and bullet points all of this junk. So Jesus is saying, worry does not work. And you're going to kill yourself, so do not worry. So you've got to see that's why Jesus is saying that, because He loves you and because He loves His Father first and foremost. So again, we're going to get more specific in some of this tomorrow. I'm sorry, we're not here tomorrow because of your day off. Friday, so tomorrow if you didn't know that, um, Group A will have worship in the morning and then you have a free day. And then Group B has the free day from the morning until evening and then you come back for worship. Um, and then Friday we'll continue this elective. So I'm going to give you some practical things on Friday. Of, okay, how can I deal with my worry? How can I, when I leave Colorado and go back home, what are some practical things that I can do? Uh, so let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word does not pull any punches, that Your Word is explicit in the worry uh, or, or the, the pain and the suffering that we will deal with that can uh, tempt us to worry and be anxious. I pray that we would see the goodness of God the Father, the power that God has as He rules over all of these terrifying horrors that can happen in this world. Help us to be reminded that God, You are enthroned and nothing can happen apart from Your sovereign reign and rule. Help us to to grow in our love from Jesus through this lens of worry and anxiety. Draw us closer to you. It's in His name we pray. Amen.